Success is impossible to define. Our path in life is driven by a myriad of influences. We are often told to, above all else, follow our hearts, to find out what we're passionate about and pursue it. But is it really as easy as following your passion? I'm Izzy Amoruso. I'm Edward Sturm. And this is Duality. Every week we bring you two stories and a conversation about them. This week on Duality, The Price of Dreams. As follow your passion becomes conventional wisdom, some argue that a dose of pragmatism will take you further. But the choice is not as simple when privilege comes into play. So, Mike Rowe, who's a television host, best known for his work on the TV series Dirty Jobs and Somebody's Gotta Do It, released a video opinion piece for Prager University in 2016, entitled Don't Follow Your Passion. His first point in the video is that passion and ability are different. He uses American Idol as an example, and how many of the auditioning performers don't have the capabilities that they believe they possess. He critiques the rhetoric of never giving up on your dreams, because those dreams may have unintended consequences, or they may not be actionable for specific people. Just because you're passionate about something doesn't mean you're good at it, and staying the course when working towards a goal only makes sense if you're headed in a reasonable direction. The video goes on to talk about the idea of dream jobs, and how they distract from other careers that provide an opportunity to engage in in meaningful work and later develop a passion for that job. He contends that happiness on the job has very little to do with the work itself. You can make a living and enjoy your job while having another interest that you engage in as a hobby. An important theme throughout the video was that we as a country idealize certain occupations and ignore the value of others that could very well be fulfilling for someone. Anecdotally, he mentions a septic tank cleaner who saw that everyone around him was pursuing similar careers and chose to do what they didn't want to do. He acquired the necessary skills and ended up developing a passion for the work. The reality of the current job market is that there's an overwhelming amount of graduates competing for a narrow set of opportunities that have been deemed attractive by society. There's a 2012 article in the Harvard Business Review written by Cal Newport, and it touches on a lot of the same points as as Roe, but specifically in terms of Generation Y's entitlement when it comes to potential career paths. It breaks down the phrase, follow your passion, which became prevalent career advice when Gen Y was growing up, and how the verb follow implies that once you find your singular passion, you then pair it with a related occupation. If everyone believes that they'll enjoy a job if they're doing what they're passionate about, it's it's really easy to become disappointed if the early stages of your career don't satisfy your expectations. The article states that We need to be having a more comprehensive conversation pertaining to how we find careers and how serendipitous factors affect our occupation path. And this comes off as as very harsh advice because there's a huge societal emphasis on passion, but there's a difference between passion and work, and, and we often conflate the two. You can be extremely passionate about something, but also acknowledge that it may not lead to a realistic career. That acknowledgement doesn't detract from your passion. I don't see these pieces as understating the value of passion, but rather highlighting that we also need a healthy dose of realism to go alongside our dreams. It makes sense that if we envision a job in a way that doesn't align with the reality of the occupation, we'll end up being disappointed with it, and 
if we can't accept that there are some occupations that we're not the right fit for and persist anyway, we'll miss other opportunities. The people who are at the top of their fields in, in any given occupation were lucky enough to have their passion and their talent intersect. Passion motivated them to work hard in a specific arena, and they possessed the necessary skills to be successful. A person that immediately comes to mind who exemplifies that is Laura Benanti, who's an incredibly accomplished actress. She's received five Tony nominations, and she's had a long-standing career on Broadway. Um, she grew up very passionate about musical theater, and her abilities allowed her the opportunity to continually find work. But her parents didn't want her to pursue the career, and given the number of people out there who are also passionate about the work but never end up enjoying that kind of success. Hmm. So, Izzy, do you think that uh, you are taking the advice of Mike Rowe and, and Cal Newport in your personal career choice? Well, Edward, absolutely not. <laughs> you and I are both breaking Mike Rowe's rule here by pursuing degrees in theater and hoping to succeed in that field professionally. Honestly, it's uncomfortable, for me at least, to really ruminate on that because I tend to think more about all the good things that could come from that decision rather than the risks. I would like to think that we both possess the talent to pursue acting as a career, but there's a surplus of talented actors. You know, we might be more successful in the septic tank cleaning arena. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Uh, so this this question of uh, pragmatism or passion is, is like you said, personal for both of us. Uh, we have heard the perspective that you gave us um, from Mike Rowe and Cal Newport, and yet we have still chosen to, to vote, so to speak, with our actions against it. Um, there has never been a shortage of people looking to make it on Broadway, and there probably never will be. Um, and the choice to devote years of study to theater, therefore, is, is really not practical. What I think most commonly sustains these, I mean, maybe even quixotic aspirations, though, are success stories. Because the people who attain success as actors or musicians or artists or whatever it may be, do it in a big way. It's most essentially a risk and reward calculus. If you take a job as an electrician because it's a job that is in demand and aligned with your skill sets, you have a very good chance of earning a living right away and a good chance of rising to the top of that profession. But you aren't going to become exorbitantly wealthy, and more likely than not, you're going to have to find fulfillment outside of the 9-to-5 the job. If you pursue a career as an actor, however, it's possible that you will get to do something that you love for the rest of your life, and it's less possible, although still feasible, that you will become wealthy and successful rising to the top of the profession. I mean, that's, that's what's in our mind when we decide to do this kind of thing. But there's also a good possibility that it doesn't work out, and we have to be aware of that. As I was considering this risk analysis, something that I knew but didn't fully understand kind of hit me. The risk calculation is fundamentally different for different people as a product of wealth. If I try to be an actor and I fail hard, that might be a huge personal disappointment, but I will still be able to fall back. I'm not going to be homeless. I'm not going to starve. For people in different economic situations, though, that same calculus isn't true. You know, this is closely connected with the, the bootstraps fallacy, and e even more broadly with the American dream. As we were preparing this episode, I saw on the news a story about a man named uh, Rehan Staten, who took a job as a garbage man to pay his way through college and has now been accepted to Harvard Law School. 
and you know, firstly, that's that's awesome for him, and it, it's a story, great story worth sharing. But unfortunately, it kind of plays into this idea that anyone can get to the top if they just work hard enough, if they pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And that's an idea that largely isn't true. It's an idea that ignores the impact of, of food insecurity, scarcity of educational resources, and a whole lot of other economically driven challenges on a person's ability to succeed. The bootstraps narrative has become a tool of, of white supremacy because it allows us to hide systematic oppression by parading stories like that of Rehan Staten. Uh, those with privilege love to hear these stories of people pulling themselves up because it allows us to feel like all success is earned. You know, that story helped me realize that, that this is much broader than the arts. I obviously don't know Ray Hanstatten, but I would venture to say that he is probably a good deal more passionate about law than about garbage collection. Our world is made better by people whose passion intersects with their talent, just as you said. You know, these are the, the Wayne Gretzkys, the Ruth Bader Ginsburgs of the world. What if all of the kids with the same aptitude, but even less resources than Rehan could also pursue their passions. In truth, as much as we love the occasional Cinderella story, the broader system is set up to keep people where they are, and that is to the detriment of all of us. You're absolutely right. The question goes beyond, should I follow my passion, to can I follow my passion? One of the reasons I'm so quick to pursue a career in musical theater which is similar to what you stated earlier, uh, is that I know that even if my artistic pursuits don't amount to anything, I'll still be financially stable. I could go live at home with my family. I would still be able to have all my basic human needs met. But more than that, I would still be able to live very comfortably, which is not the case for a lot of people. The potential reward outweighs the risk, and that privilege completely changes the calculus of choosing a desired occupation. I think that it's also perceived differently for people coming from different socioeconomic stations. As we were discussing this episode, I was reminded of the lyrics from a song called When the Idle Poor Become the Idle Rich from the musical Finian's Rainbow. I'll read a section right now because I think they're really interesting. When a rich man doesn't want to work, he's a bon vivant. Yes, he's a bon vivant. But when a poor man doesn't want to work, he's a loafer, he's a lounger, he's a lazy good-for-nothing, he's a jerk. When a rich man loses on a horse, isn't he the sport? Oh, isn't he the sport? But when a poor man loses on a horse, he's a gambler, he's a spender, he's a lowlife, he's a reason for divorce. When a rich man chases after dames, he's a man about town. Oh, he's a man about town. But when a poor man chases after dames, he's a bounder, he's a rounder, he's a rotter and a lot of dirty names. So on a societal level, we view people's actions differently as a factor of their socioeconomic station. I think you could write another verse of this song about the rich man who is noble for pursuing his passion, and the poor man who is wasting time taking that same path. Exactly. That larger idea that you brought up is very relevant. Last episode, we talked about how we place certain expectations on very affluent people, like donating large sums of their money to charity, but... We also place expectations on people who don't have as many resources. When you have the means, not working or, or gambling, like the song mentions, is much more palatable. But when you don't, those things hold much more weight. It's the same as how going out to eat and spending $20 on a meal may not be a big deal for some people, but for others, it is a big deal. 
it makes me think about the idea of the American dream and, and the false notion that anyone who works really hard can become affluent and successful in their desired occupation. That's just not true. There's a variety of limiting factors that makes it much more difficult for some people to achieve what the American dream promises. Yeah, there's there's an abundance of literature that exists on either side of the American dream. I think about The Great Gatsby as, as a, a very prominent one, um, about a character who seemingly achieves the American dream, yet the book is actually a criticism of that ideal and our conflation of, of truly realizing that dream with merely accumulating wealth. There are definitely people who are able to overcome their circumstances and find success, my mom grew up in a very poor area of Baltimore and started working to help support her family when she was 13. Both of her parents had immigrated from Asia with the idea of the American dream in mind. She was able to find success, but that's an anomaly for someone coming from her circumstances. It definitely doesn't happen often. But to be clear, the success she achieved was not the realization of her passion. She wanted to be an actress, but... There wasn't enough stability and, and money in that field, so she chose to do something different. She does love her job, but it wasn't what she wanted to do growing up. You know, the question that you, you kind of raise there is a universally relevant one. What is success? By conventional standards, your mom has been exceedingly successful, but that isn't the same thing as fulfillment. Now, that, I mean, there are plenty of people who live very fulfilled lives by liking their jobs, but not, you know, loving their jobs, feeling that they're passionate about it. Uh, they find their passions in, in other things, whether it be hobbies or family or, or whatever it might be. In fact, that's probably most people. And it's probably a good thing, because while there is that occasional guy who is deeply passionate about accounting, that doesn't happen nearly as often as there are accounting jobs that need to be filled. From a societal level, Mike Rowe telling you to get a hobby is a good thing, and having a section of the population who doesn't listen to Mike Rowe and heads off to put all their energy into acting or painting or singing is also a good thing, because it really does take all sorts. On an individual level, however, the question of what is success is really complicated. There's definitely a difference between personal success and economic success. People can set their expectations for themselves, and if they meet those expectations, that can be considered achieving success, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're achieving affluence. Theater's the most accessible example, for me at least, because when someone is cast in a role on Broadway, we see that as the pinnacle of success in the field, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're well off. Just because someone has won a Tony doesn't mean they're wealthy or guaranteed anything in the future. Everyone has a different definition of success. It's not a one-size-fits-all definition. The guy who was the septic tank cleaner was successful for himself, even though it might not have been in the most attractive occupation. Success isn't just achieving fame and money, which is how it's often portrayed to us. Yeah, this, this idea of success is so elusive to us, and partly, I think, because it is our nature to always be wanting more, to be uh, wanting the material good that comes, or, or whatever that, that next big thing is, or, or maybe we're chasing fame, or, or chasing some contrived idea of happiness. It's not a controversial position to say that success means different things to different people. I think, I think everybody agrees with that. Um, but, at least in my personal experience, I still struggle to let go of a more constrained notion of what success is. 
At the end of the day, I find myself judging other people according to my metric of what is and is not a good use of potential, whatever that means. Things like going to a top-rated university that are very much conventional in nature. Part of the reason that it, I think this is harmful is because of the point that I was making earlier about the bootstraps narrative. With unequal opportunity, there is an imperative for understanding, not judgment. Even still, I do kind of take issue with my own sentiment there, because it feels like we're saying, well, the playing field is uneven, so we have to understand that it doesn't make sense for a whole lot of people to do something that they care deeply about. That's not the world I want to live in. We can debate the merits of Mike Rowe's approach compared to our own all day long, but if the pursuit of passion is reserved for those with means, those lucky few who perfectly combine passion and talent and make the world a better place because of it are even fewer. Exactly. I mean, when we're considering the choice of pursuing your passion or money, I really dislike that the answer at the moment is... Well, look at your circumstances and ask yourself if you're pursuing something viable for you. But we do have to acknowledge the impact of income inequality on this element of deciding a future. The duality between pragmatism and passion is a conversation definitely worth having, but we can't have that conversation without acknowledging how opportunities are different for different people. Until we're able to make balancing the duality between pragmatism and passion a viable option for everyone, and careers that involve following your passion, whether that be in the arts or otherwise, more accessible. We're going to have a perpetual inequity in those careers and in our world. Changing that is a goal I think we should all keep in mind. Thanks for listening to Duality. Make sure to stay tuned for next week when we present our season finale. Take the opportunity to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks again.